Good evening. Thank you for having me here. Thank you. We will. Continue our discussion uh, from Sri Jiva Goswami's Bhakti Sandarbha, a little detour that we are taking. Um, as Jiva pointed us in this direction from the Krishna Sandarbha, when he was speaking about the efficacy of uh, just being in the presence of Krishna's pure devotee and how um, efficacious that is for one's. Uh, entering into uh, spiritual life or turning their consciousness towards the Supreme Lord, uh, taking consciousness away from his external energy and turning it towards his internal Swarup Shakti. So there's more here and we'll just continue. So, if the association of devotees is the cause of developing devotional attitude towards Bhagavan, why is it that some people don't become devotees in spite of coming into such association? Reasonable question. I mean, not everyone that comes in contact with a pure devotee becomes a devotee of Krishna, turns their consciousness towards God. So why is that? Uh, there seems to be some uh, deference to one person and uh, neglect of another. So what would create such a situation where we don't see an equal effect applied to everyone? So it's a reasonable inquiry. Jiva's presenting this himself. Why is it? So he goes on, he says, he gives an example, as he does, so to bring it, bring it to a point where we can comprehend uh, through example. And that's, that's really what, what distinguishes the, the Puranic, the Itihasas, the histories and the Puranas, is they give us a context wherein we can assimilate spiritual truths. Uh, just you know, um, just to just to be just to hear the aphorisms of like the Upanishads, it's sometimes hard for us to grasp through such a, uh, a succinct uh, uh, pronouncement of spiritual knowledge the deeper import of uh, you know Aham Brahmasmi, you are Brahman. Okay, cool, I'm Brahman. Let me go back to work, or let me go back, you know, what, what's Brahman, and what's Aham, and what am I, and, you know, so a little context really helps us, and that's what the Puranic, the Puranic presentation is for. Uh, it's, uh, it's histories, it's, it gives us examples of uh, different uh, personalities throughout the ages who have turned their consciousness towards Bhagavan, Specifically, those Puranas. There are, the Puranas are very vast. Uh, that's why we we stick with the Bhagavat Purana because it's centered on Bhagavan. Uh, so it's in our estimation the uh, uh, the uh, purest representation of the content of the Veda. Uh, specifically those sections of the Veda um, that point towards the Supreme, which are the, the Upanishads. And uh, the Upanishads are for those that are uh, Atato Brahma Jignasa, Atato, I'm, I'm done, I've had it, I'm exhausted. I've done the karmakanda thing and it's just not doing it for me anymore. I have to move on. I have to go to something else because it's it's not fully satisfying in every way to 
even to aspire to the heavenly planets. I can see even even through through the narrations and what's coming to me from the sages that uh, to 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 attain heaven is not a permanent solution. It it may be a band aid. It may give me some nice you know, a nice, what do we say, uh, a night out on the town. That night on the town may last for hundreds of millions of years in, in our calculations, may, have, may be full of all kind of enjoyments, but it comes to an end. And so we, we, learn, we learn through Shastra and there has to be some significance that at a certain point through the association of a sadhu, which turns our consciousness, but there has to, there has to be a readiness on our part. Uh, sometimes I say to be materially exhausted. Now, we've been talking about the influence of a sadhu. So the sadhu's influence is his, the potency of that swarup shakti that comes through the agency of the Lord's pure devotee is, is enough to awaken us to all that we've experienced in countless lifetimes. So even though we may not know that we're materially exhausted, we may not know we've, we've had it all, we've been there, we've done that, we've gone up, we've gone down, we've had our night on the town of, of Swarga and we've you know had whatever we wanted in abundance and had all the mystic powers and opulences. I mean, we hear in the scriptures, it's like, wow, this is, this sounds like the place to be. And then you find out in the same scriptures that, well, actually, there's more enjoyment on the subterranean heavenly planets. So there's another level of heavenly planets? Yeah, there's heavenly, heavenly planets going up there's heavenly planets going down. What's the difference? On the upper planetary systems, there's a sense of knowledge of the supreme. On the subterranean heavenly planets, no, there's no, no, none of that coming into play. So you don't need to worry about Dharma there because there's no distinctive consciousness of the ex, you know of the supreme and uh, less less consciousness even than on the spirit on the on the heavenly planets of uh, you've got to pay the bill the tab comes you know you can go to the restaurant and you can eat all on the everything you want, drink until your heart's content. But when you're done, they they come up to you and they hand you a tab and say, "Okay, if you want to get out of here and not go to the back and wash the pots, you're gonna to have to, you know, you're gonna pay up." So similarly, on the heavenly planets, they know that their time will eventually expire, but It's not in the forefront. They know it, but they, it's not in the forefront. It's like when you're on a vacation in Hawaii, although I've never been there, I've heard it's really nice. It's like a, they say it's heaven on earth. I don't know. So uh, maybe next life I'll be a traveling man, not this time around. Uh, but while you're there on the beach, and while you're there enjoying, and you know that the vacation's going to end, but you're not, it's not at the forefront. You know, you're enjoying the sun, you're enjoying 
whatever you are, you know, when you're on vacation, it's not like you're thinking, oh man, this is going to end, you know, in a week or two weeks or whatever. It's going to be all over. I'm going to have to, you know, it's, I have to go home and I got to figure out how to pay the credit card bill that I put the tickets on and the room on and all the drinks that I've drunk and all the meals that I've had and all the tours that I've taken. How am I going to pay for all this? They're not, you're not even thinking that when you're there, right? You're thinking, that's cool. I'm having a good time. So at least you know there will be a bill, whereas in the subterranean heavenly planets, they don't recognize there's going to be a bill at the end. So therefore, their enjoyment is even on a higher level. It's like they're subterranean, mean, meaning that they're in the mode of ignorance. They're not fully aware. Even in the heavenly planets, they're not fully aware, but they're aware enough to know there will be a bill. And the subterranean, you're just enjoying, and there's no, there's not that sense of it. So therefore, they say in the subterranean planets, the, the enjoyment is greater. But the scriptures don't talk a lot about that, because they're not geared towards encouraging people to go to hell to enjoy. <laughs> yeah. Is there exploitation there? I guess I, it's I not know, really I explained. All that. we hear is the terminology, and and that's that's all we really hear in our scripture. As far as we hear this, the terminology subterranean heavenly planet, and it's it's godless. So it's a godless place as opposed to the you know swargaloka, which which wherein God is, is recognized as the supreme above even the king of heaven. So they recognized. So I don't know how we went down that road. But we're talking about heavenly planets here. We're talking, that's in, in the Anacheda, Jiva Goswami says the following, the devas and others obtained the association of the devotees like Sri Narada. So, I mean, Narada hangs out in the heaven planets too. He, he travels. He's a, he's a universal traveler. You know, there's world travelers. Well, he travels everywhere. There's no place he can't go. So, but they did not attain Bhagavan as Nala Kuvar and Mani Griva did. Okay, so Nala Kuvar and Mani Griva were residents of heaven. And they were, you know, out having a good time with their girlfriends in the middle of the day in a lake. They were intoxicated to the point that they couldn't see straight. And, I mean, they were just having a good old time. And along walks Narda. Now, the women that were with them had a good, had sense enough. They weren't so, so overtaken with intoxication and enjoyment that they didn't cover themselves. They did cover themselves, but Nalakavar and Mani Griva, they didn't. They were just standing there naked in long walks, you know, Narda. I mean, what an insult to, to somebody of Narda's stature. So that's what Jeeva's talking about here. Well, wait, how did these two residents of heaven get such a benediction from Narda when Narda travels through the heavenly planets all the times and... I mean, they they actually became devotees by his association, and these not all the residents of heaven were affected that way. That seems to be discriminate, discriminating. I mean, if the sage, just by his association, can bring one to turn their consciousness fully to the supreme, why was it that the two drunkards, you know, the playboys, Nalakuvar and Mani Griva, were blessed and other residents of heaven who had also saw Narda and were in his presence weren't affected similarly. So that's what Jeeva's bringing out here. He's asked the question and now he's answering it. This is to be resolved as follows, Jeeva says. If the presence of offenses persists within certain people, then as a result of this defect, they become disrespectful 
toward devotees or consider them to be merely ordinary pious people. So there's an offense there. Oh, come on. Wait a minute. Does that really make sense? I mean, didn't Nalakuvar and Mani Griva, weren't they offensive? They didn't even recognize Narda in their intoxication, enough to cover their bodies. Well, let's go deeper because that that doesn't, in my mind, settle the thing, does it? So Jiva goes on. So although the Association of Devotees has the power to center people's awareness on Bhagavan, in order to become free of the fault of offenses, key point, the mercy of devotees is required to give further assistance. Oh, well here, now we're introducing another, another thing. Not the, the actual intent to bestow benediction or devotional benediction upon someone. So although from a material vantage point, it would appear that Nalakuvar and Mani Griva were more offensive than the run-of-the-mill heavenly residents. Even though it would appear that way, still, Narda decided to give them his mercy. What do we call that? Yadritjaya. What is that? Causeless. You can't know the mind of Krishna's devotee. You, we, there's nothing that, there's no material influence. It's not like, oh, they were, they were, it was just, Narda said, well, okay. These two individuals, somehow or other, he just made a determination and extended his mercy to them. Now, of course, from a material viewpoint, you, you would say, what mercy? He cursed them to be trees. From a material viewpoint, that's, that's not a benediction, that's a curse. To stand naked as a tree for, well, what's the life of a tree? Cut it down, you see the rings, it's, it's you know. In the heavenly planets. Right. Uh, well, oh, right. in Raj. Right. But still, still, these were twin Arjuna trees the largest trees in the neighborhood, the highest trees with the deepest roots. That's why it was so amazing when Krishna walked by and just pushed them over. He just pulled pulled on that, you know, on the grinding mortar uh, that was held to his body by what? By a ribbon. The ribbon didn't snap. The grinding mortar didn't crack. But the trees broke, and these were the, you know, the the greatest of trees in the in that area. Other on the other hand, if offenses are absence, then merely by the association of devotees, a person may develop the most exalted regard for them. Most exalted regard for a devotee if there's no offenses, just by seeing them, it's like, you know. Wow. And uh, I'll tell you a story. It's kind of a, a strange story. Maybe not. I shouldn't introduce names. I had a godbrother, Bhakti Ross, and I invited him to our home in Winston-Salem to uh, speak one time. And he had, he, he's a very... He's a very nice devotee, and he, he leads devotees. He probably... He probably personally has led more tours of Raj than anyone else in recent history. I mean, just day in, day in and day out, he takes devotees out 
and shows them Braj. Sometimes, I mean, we went out with him, there were three or four of us, maybe maybe, maybe eight. We were in a van, so might have been more. And then we went out with him another time, and there were two or three hundred. Well, he came to Winston-Salem. He doesn't get out of Raj very much. He doesn't get to town like this side of the, the country, the world. So he came to our home. And he was giving a nice lecture, and he was recounting Prapa Nectar to the audience, who, I mean, our audiences weren't that, really had no depth of knowledge like that, where Prapa, who's Prapa, you know, we were, our preaching there was very simple uh, for the most part, and especially when Bhakti Ross arranged to have people come to our home. It was a general pop. It was a you know new agers, so to speak. It wasn't uh, an audience of uh, Vaishnavs by any stretch of the imagination. So I am going to get to the point, and the point is, what's it saying here? It's saying that just to see a saint, somebody can be affected. So he's giving a lecture in our living room and to a mixed crowd and it's you know it's mixed also by race there's men there's women there's black people there's white people you know and uh, he's talking about prapa and prapa coming into an airport and he's there and he says and there was one black man in the back of the airport he probably was a janitor or something <laughs> He says, and when he saw Prapa, he just spurted out, and he shines, he shines. And he says it like that. And I have finished. What do you do? You have a, you know. <laughs> so anyway, it was kind of like, <laughs> well, you would say the, the comment was off color, <laughs> so to speak. For that kind of an audience, mixed audience that we had. But the point was, he was there at the time and he experienced. And here was here was a, a common worker who had no associate, didn't know Prabhupada from what? Prabhupada just arrives at the airport and this man sees, wow, this personality, he's got an effulgence. And he expresses that. He can't even hold it in. He's spurts it out, you know, at the top of his, he shines, you know, at the top of his voice. So we're talking about that kind of an innocence where the association of Krishna's devotee has that much power. So we'll continue. So there, if the individual has no offense he doesn't have an offense and he doesn't think. I mean, this individual who, you know, this back black gentleman that spurted this out, he didn't see Prabhupada as an ordinary human being. And he'd never been in any situation where he would have been offensive to a devotee. So therefore, he immediately had the proper recognition and he was elated. I mean, to spurt that out, that's kind of like a, you know, it's a spiritual outpouring from him out of nowhere. Why? Because there was no offense. And he didn't take the devotee to be an ordinary human being. So, Jiva goes on. I'll jump a little bit. He says, who are ones so deprived of mercy? What about the people that are so deprived? Who are those? Who falls into the, that category? Those whose minds are turned away from Bhagavan due to avoiding introspection, distancing themselves from engaging the mind by turning inwards on account of senses that are sinfully engaged namely by offensive activities undertaken with the senses. This explanation 
of the verse should also be considered. And he says it should be considered, Jiva says, because Sridhar looks to the verse this way. Because Sridhar, the great Sridhar Swami, the great commentator on the Bhagavatam, has taken it to mean that these those whose minds run outward certainly do not see the devotees who are attracted to the beauty of Bhagavan's feet. All right. So now we need to go a little deeper in this regard, and this is very, this is a very significant point here. Jiva says the determinal factor mentioned in this verse, which disqualifies oneself from the mercy of devotees, refers to offenses and not to the ordinary course of absorption in sense objects. This is because everyone is compelled by nature to fulfill the urges of the senses until blessed by the grace of a devotee. Furthermore, that devotees are merciful towards those entangled in sense desires has already been expressed above. And then the quote from the third canto. As follows, auspicious devotees of Bhagavan Krishna like to wander in this material world simply to bless those who due to misfortune are not devoted to him, who are thus irreligious and exceedingly miserable. So the devotees do not discriminate, and Krishna Swarup Shakti, his internal potency, they don't discriminate, discriminate against those that are entangled in the material energy. That's not a disqualification. That is that does not stand in the way. Devotees come to, to offer those kind of individuals an opportunity to turn their consciousness towards the Supreme. So they don't, they don't discriminate and say, you're too sinful. That's, that's not the proper understanding. Or you're, you, don't get, you don't get the mercy of the spiritual master because you can't complete X amount of rounds or you're still having trouble with intoxication. So, you know, you're not, you, you're not going to advance in spiritual life because you still have trouble with intoxication or sex or meat eating or whatever. There's no such discrimination. And I don't know if you've heard, probably you have, since you've heard most of, you know, Swami's lectures, but you hear about uh, the one devotee that was uh, with Bhakti Rakshak Shudardev Goswami, and he was lamenting his position. He was saying, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how I can make any spiritual advancement. And he's telling this to, to Sridhar Swami, Bhakti Rakshak Sridhar And he's saying, because I, I mean, I still, I mean, I'm still addicted to, 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 to uh, intoxication. Smoking weed, ganja, ganja, and Schroeder said, "Well, that's no problem. Why do you think that? Why do you think of yourself in that way? Why are you looking at that? You should be looking at you've got the association of Krishna's devotees. You're associating with the devotees. You're hearing from the devotees. You're chanting kirtan. You're chanting the Lord's holy name." you are engaging and moving towards the towards krishna these th this is a minor thing this will fall away in due course of time don't become don't be full of anxiety and lamentation over this little petty thing this is a material thing this this is this is naturally your your cheto darpa marjana the heart is going to be cleansed sooner or later. You know, in due course of time, this will fall away just like everything else. You're no longer eating meat. You're no longer this or that. You know, everybody has different hang-ups. But, you know, it, it doesn't matter. That's not, and that's not a disqualifier. This statement would be inconsistent with the previous one if the only shortcomings were routine engagement and sense enjoyment. 
It would be an inconsistent statement and it would be an inconsistent inconsistent on our part to think in that way. So there's so many admonitions that we don't judge devotees based on you know where they stand or where what how they're influenced by the external energy. We just don't do that. We judge ourselves. That's all we need to look at. Where do I stand in relationship to the material energy and how is it still got a got its hold on me? And I do what I can to 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 take advantage of ridding myself of my material tendencies, but I'm it's what's more important than the nati nati not this, not that, give up this, give up that. What's more important is taking on the positive. More chanting, more reading, more associating with devotees. That's my, that's my saving. That's the saving grace of this life. I've been given an opportunity to associate with devotees, to hear the scriptures, to have a great guru, and the more I take advantage of it, that's to my benefit, and everything else will fall away. And yes, he's asked that I don't do this and I don't do that. And I do that. I, I follow that as, as best I can, but I don't become neurotic. And there's a, you know, there's a tendency to, for this kind of a consciousness. Um, but I'm not going to explore that entirely this evening. You know, what that social tendency is, uh, Prabhupada came here and he saw, uh, you know, in coming to the Western world, he saw, he had a very specific viewpoint of, of how fallen we really were. And he pay, placed his emphasis in a certain way. And uh, I don't know if other Acharyas would, would I know that uh, Guru Maharaj, I know that myself, we don't look at it quite the way Prabhupada did when he came. Different time, place, and circumstance. Different understanding has to be there. Um, and I'll just touch upon one thing. What I saw in Srila Prabhupada's preaching in the beginning was he knew that many people would come and many people would go away and he know they would they would all be benefited by involvement in Krishna consciousness, but he was strict as far as more his moral. He wanted a very high moral compass because he was trying to reestablish an intellectual class, a Brahminical class of leadership that could that could carry forth spiritual direction in the society. He had this concept. He carried this concept even even at the end. He said, I didn't finish my mission. I wanted to establish Varnashram. And we could argue about what he meant by those statements and how significant they were. Um, but he had a certain viewpoint, and his viewpoint was one of, of really separating the weak from the chaff. He, he said of the, of the people he gave sannyas, he even made statements most of you won't be able to maintain this i mean he knew it you know but he still he wanted you know to to boil the milk and have a have a a, a core leadership that could carry forth krishna consciousness in the western world and who are we to question that so therefore the meaning is that the mercy of the devotee is certainly bestowed on those who are caught up in unsubstantial pursuits, but who are not offensive. Even if somehow there is a lack of awareness or non-engagement, still, merely by saintly association, their minds will turn towards Bhagavan. If, however, the devotees willingly bless someone who is offensive, then only will his or her mind turn towards Bhagavan, but not for others. 
so this is like the third evening that we've been discussing this and I'm just going to uh, I'm going to end the discussion here and move on back to the Krishna Sandarbha uh, with where we began the discussion when we first came into this Bhakti Sandarbha. We first came here with this statement uh, as to the efficacy made by, um, in his question, Sunaka said even to be in the presence of, such, of a pure devotee has profound effects. And then in this Anucheta from the Bhakti Sandarbha, uh, Muchakunda reinforced that. Jiva pointed to this Anucheta, he reinforced this by by something that Muchakunda said. And, you know, he used a little literary uh, contrivance there to actually say that when your material life is wrapped up, then you meet it, you know, then Bhakti enters through the agency of the devotee, but really it's it's not the way, if you know Sanskrit and if you know, you know, the use of this as somebody at Jiva Goswami's level of, you know, spiritual insight has, then then you know that actually what he's saying is first there's the mercy of the devotee and then your your termination of a turning towards matter to turning towards the supreme. So the in the Bhakti Sandarbha this section is a huge section of Anuchetas dealing just with association of Krishna's pure devotee. This is just the first of, um, anyway, I'm not going to spin it. I'll, I'll let you know before we leave here. Uh, many, many Anuchetas. Jiva dives deeply into this so that we can truly understand it. But it's summarized as follows. And this is where we began this discussion in the first evening. So, this mercy that comes through the agency of the devotees, why does it appear that not everyone gets it? Why does it appear that some people get it without the association? Like Pingala, we went over her. It's because she definitely did get the association at one time. Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur even goes so far uh, as to as to in discussing um, her situation that she one once invited, um, I believe it was Durvas, into her home and and entertained him, not in her professional <laughs> capacity, but you know, just a, a, you know, and and offered him some uh, some service. So, again, back to where we began. One, four different, four different items are discussed here regarding the association of the devotee. If the person is without any offense, if we are without any offense and does not disrespect the devotee, then the mere presence, and that's where, that's where this began, the mere presence of a devotee inspires bhakti into his heart. This will happen even if the person and the devotee are not paying any attention to each other. It's that powerful. Two, if the person is without offense, but considers the devotee to be just an ordinary human being, then merely coming into his presence will not inspire bhakti. Such a person will need to receive the conscious grace of a devotee. The devotee will have to think of him or her favorably and give them some grace because you're just seeing me as a human being, but I'm here to, to deliver Krishna. Three, if the person has committed offenses, 
but still respects devotees, then only the association of the devotee would not inspire bhakti. So no bhakti there. Even if you are, you've committed offenses, but, but you respect the devotees. One would also need his special grace to get bhakti. And four, if the person has committed offenses and also considers devotees to be ordinary people, then also mere association will not inspire bhakti. Such a person will need the extraordinary grace of a devotee. So, in the first instance, no offense in any way, not even thinking they're material, not even really paying any attention either by the devotee or the person, if they're not offensive and they don't think in a, in a derogatory manner like you're just a regular person, then you can get grace. Otherwise, all other instances require the devotee to actually do some outreach in our direction, either showing us some mercy, showing us special mercy, or showing us extraordinary mercy, depending on how much we are how low, how low we've gone, how offensive we are. The essence of all this is that there are three factors involved in be, bringing awareness about Bhagavan. Three things, three factors. The first factor is association of the devotees. The second is the grace of the devotee. And the third is the nature and attitude of the recipient. Out of these, the most important factor is the grace of the devotee. It can override even the ill character of the recipient. So our detour will end there, lest we... I'm sorry, the, the uh, uh, Pingalas uh, was visited by Dattatreya. Okay. He happened to come by her house and she hosted him and gave him a place to stay according to Vishwanath from the Bhagavat uh, uh, that's actually from the Bhagavatam commentary of, of Vishwanath Chakravarti 11.8.37 because in that verse Pingala says Bhagavan Vishnu has become pleased on me due to some unknown act of mine. And Vishwanath says, well, I know what the act was, and here's what it was. So that's Vishwanath's mercy on us in his commentaries, as he knows he has a lot of inside information. And he's, he's more than happy to share inside, the inside scoop on so many things. If you want to really dive into a, an example of that, then read it, read the uh, chapter wherein uh, Rukmini is, uh, her, her, her love for Krishna is called into question by Krishna himself. And, you know, there's a whole dialogue there where she faints, and Krishna pops out a, another couple arms to pick her up and wipe the perspiration from her body and he just didn't. He didn't realize how much in love she was. He he just wanted to joke with her like a husband will tease a wife, you know, in a in a way, you know. And she won't know she's really teasing, but he just wants he just wants to get her get her anger up, so he'll tease her, make her think one thing when really he's just he just likes to see her a little a little perturbed. But you know, Rukmini is like, oh no. You're leaving me. Oh, and she passes out. So anyway, Vishwanath in that section. Oh, the, the, the talk about inside the inside scoop. Wow. His tenth canto commentary is is extraordinary. All right. So how did we get here? Wait before we leave. There was one thing. A little tidbit of knowledge. Uh, this Bhakti Sandarbha, this discussion of the devotee and their influence 
on the ingress of bhakti covers from the 179th anucheda to the 215th. So we're talking 35 anuchedas of the bhakti sandarbha just devoted to this subject alone. So we've just skimmed the surface by looking at this very first Anucheta of that section of Anuchetas. So uh, stay tuned. There'll be more discussion to come after we finish this Sundarbha and get to the Bhakti Sundarbha. The 179th Anucheta of the Bhakti Sundarbha. Okay. So let's let's look and see how we got here, and then we will be ready to enter into the Krishna Sandarbha in our next discussion with the 68th Anucheta. We're in the 67th Anucheta, and basically Jiva Goswami has taken a detour, detour in establishing what? He's establishing and reinforcing the through an army of philosophical knowledge. Sambandha Gyan reinforcing Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam. All the leelas of the Bhagavat point to that. His, it's the beginning and the end of the Bhagavat. So in so many ways, the fourfold army, and now we're at, 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 at the third of the fourfolds, and uh, here he's showing that all the major narrations point to Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. Krishna's the supreme personality of Godhead. He is the main subject matter of the of the Bhagavat Purana. And at this point here, he's detoured into looking to the very beginning of the Bhagavat Purana and saying, even not only we've already gone, I've shown you that Krishna's throughout the Bhagavatam is the is the main character. Everybody's looking to Krishna. Every narration is pointing to Krishna. And also, then he then he said, and if we look to the Chatur Sloki, those four key verses from the Bhagavat that were spoken by Krishna to Brahma, Krishna himself is saying, I am. I am the source of all spiritual material worlds. If you see anything and it's not me, you're in Maya. It's Maya. That is what Maya is. If you're not seeing me everywhere, that's Maya. So those four verses. And then he goes here, Jiva does, and he says, and these introductory six questions by the sages headed by Sunaka, spoken to Sutta Goswami, are saying, we want to know about Krishna. And then this 67th Anucheda of the Krishna Sandarbha read, O Sutta, the sages who are established in the state of unwaving mental fixity, Sama, have taken complete refuge of his Sri Krishna's feet. Immediately purify anyone simply on being contacted. Those sages, they immediately purify one just by their contact. Whereas the water of the Ganges may take some time. So it's even more efficacious than the Ganges. And then we just took a detour and we looked at, well, why do we don't see that immediate result? in everyone. And Jiva said in this Anucheta, look to the Bhakti Sandarbha's uh, 179th Anucheta, where we begin the discussion of the sadhu and his influence and start, and, and that'll give you an idea of why you may not see it. And then next discussion, we will continue with Sunaka's emphasis through the questions of Sutta Goswami. He's basically the spokesperson for the sages of Namasharanya. And he's saying, okay, 
these six questions, which basically the rest of the whole Bhagavatam proceeds to answer. These questions are specifically directed towards turning of consciousness to Bhagavan Sri Krishna and thus supporting the idea that Krishna's to Bhagavan Swayam. Krishna is the supreme manifestation of the supreme. Any questions? Yes. This is like one of those. I think it's a lame question, but I have it. Um, so if it's just the extraordinary mercy of the devotee, his grace, and it's causeless, why doesn't, why don't they just bestow extraordinary mercy on everyone? It's causeless. You can't do anything to make them do it. Why don't they just bestow it on everyone? No one's deserving. Some some people try. Some devotees do actually go so far as to to make that plunge, but that's not characteristic of the interaction of the uttama bhakta in the material world. For outreach. The Uttama Bhakta is of that mental disposition without a doubt. But in order to propagate Krishna consciousness, the Uttama Bhakta comes down to the Mudjam platform by taking on that mentality discrimination comes in to the picture and that discrimination is what is the determining factor of who they bestow mercy upon and who they don't the uttama bhakti thinks in the way you're thinking everyone should have no he doesn't even go so far as that everyone is everybody has but me i don't have that's the way he thinks but he's of the mindset that if if they did, he'd give it to them. Whereas the Majjhimadakari, he does make distinctions. So that would be a beginning of an understanding of, of your question. That the Majjhim does choose practice. It seems to contradict what we just that doesn't mean he can't that doesn't mean he can't go out of his way if if somebody is outright offensive mm -hmm. to Krishna and outright offensive to the devotees the Majjim avoids him now if we look uh, Nalakavar and Mani Griva what was the characteristic they were offensive to Narada they weren't necessarily offensive to Krishna and Narada doesn't take any offenses, so he didn't care if they were naked and drunk and didn't recognize him. He, he, he cursed them, but the curse was a benediction. Who knows the mind of the pure devotee? Doesn't have any material cause. Anything else? Thank you so much for your association.